0: The Joyce Kaufman podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So uh, apparently the perfect storm has come to Capitol Hill. The Speaker of the House, McCarthy, has read the handwriting on the wall. So he is telling House Republicans that the next logical step for their investigations is an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. Uh, Fox News Digital has confirmed that the House Speaker will tell House Republicans today that beginning an impeachment inquiry against President Biden is the next lo- is the logical next step. Okay, well, well, just do it. At the meeting, McCarthy is expected to say an impeachment inquiry is the logical next step. L- let me explain something. Last night, I was up at uh, Club 47, and the keynote speaker was Representative Ronnie Jackson. Now, For those of you who don't know much about him, he is a Navy Rear Admiral, a physician, an emergency trauma physician, and he was the White House doctor for George Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. And he has endorsed Donald Trump, and he ran in his home state of Texas for a seat that was being vacated. It's the reddest district in the entire country, okay? There's like nobody blue is ever going to hold that seat. And the guy who held it for 20-something years was retiring, and Ronnie Jackson decided to jump into the race, and of course he won. I think he's in his second term, and he was the keynote speaker last night. And he is a straightforward speaker, much like Congressman Byron Donalds and you know m- most of my favorite guys up there, they just, they, um, they tell it like they see it. They don't care where the chips fall. And so he said last night that Speaker McCarthy is going to have to make some very tough decisions in the next couple of days because number one was this impeachment inquiry and number two is this uh, continuing budget resolution. Like guys like Byron Donalds, guys like, you know, um, like the, you know, like him, Ronnie Jackson, guys like Matt Gaetz, gals like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, they're not so quick to cave at another continuing budget budget resolution. They got burned already. So Kevin McCarthy is really kind of trying to figure out where does he go from here? If he doesn't give conservatives in the Freedom Caucus something that they want, they're not going to vote for this. Now, that doesn't mean he can't get enough Democrat votes to pass it, but it really just diminishes his ability to be the Speaker of the House, let's face it. So they have a special conference meeting that'll take place on Thursday, which is in addition to the normal, regularly scheduled Republican meeting where leadership tells them what the priorities for the week are gonna be. And apparently, um, the Republican Party is planning to launch an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden this month. Now, all I can say is, I've just lived through multiple impeachment inquiries that inevitably result in very uh, sour relationships between the two sides and nothing ever gets accomplished. Now, to get an impeachment is difficult deliberately. It should not be something that's done casually. But originally... The way that he was protecting himself, Kevin McCarthy, was he said that he would only start an impeachment inquiry after there was a formal House of Representatives vote. He said, it's a very serious matter, and we don't take it lightly. We don't use it for political purposes. The American people deserve to be heard on this matter through their elected representatives, That's why if we move forward with an impeachment inquiry, it would occur through a vote on the floor of the People's House and not through a declaration by one person. Well, guess what? He changed his mind. Because that means that 218 lawmakers will need to support an impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. And I don't think they have the votes. I don't think there are enough House Republicans who would vote for an impeachment inquiry. That grieves me to say. But you got guys like Ken Buck from Colorado and Don Bacon from Nebraska, they've already said, we're not into this whole impeachment thing. Even some of the House conservatives who support impeachment aren't happy with the timing of this. Like Dan Bishop from uh, North Carolina. Just last week he said, you know, stop dangling these issues to avoid a confrontation over the spending, which is really what we're talking about. The next deadline is to fund the fund the government. So if this is just something that's going to be, you know, take your, how does it that my husband describes it? He says, you um, you keep everybody, if you're a magician, you keep everybody looking at your right hand where you have the shiny orb, right? And you're just like, you're you're twisting your wrist and the orb is reflecting light and it's really it attracts and attracts a lot of attention, right? Meanwhile, in your left hand, just under the table, where no one can really see it, that's what's happening. Not the shiny thing in the uh, visible hand, but what that hidden hand is doing. And so, I would have to agree that Right now, if Kevin McCarthy is talking about an impeachment without a House vote, which he's the one who said there should be a House vote, okay, if he's doing this just because he is going to keep on with this massive funding with these uh, short-term, long-term deals, these you know these deals with no spending cuts attached to them, then don't I don't think, uh, I, don't think the buy, I don't think the voters are going to buy it and I can tell you the conservative the handful of conservatives in the Republican Party are not going to buy it. Chip Roy, who's one of my new favorite congressmen, he said to leadership just a couple of weeks ago he said, look, don't screw America over like you've been doing with all this massive spending and then hide behind an impeachment cuz the american people are not stupid and they will know that's what you're doing so what is it that chip roy and some of the other conservatives like ronnie jackson and of course like uh, you know jim jordan what are they asking for they have a very narrow majority in the house they can only afford to lose five votes from the entire conference in an impeachment inquiry vote so If they rejected impeachment, that would be a huge embarrassment, not just for the Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, but for the entire House, the House Republicans. They'd have nothing to show voters. They gotta go into an election, a general election next year, which is gonna be a presidential election, with nothing. They've done nothing. They have literally accomplished nothing. And at the same time, you got guys like Ra- uh, Representative Matt Gates from Florida here who is threatening if they don't have an impeachment vote that he is going to call for the removal of Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. And now remember, that was one of the things that McCarthy had to cave on and say that any member could call for his removal. So do I have a clue? What's going on up there? Not really. I have suspicion. I have a pretty good idea. But I'm eager to see how Kevin McCarthy, you know, disengage is a political quandary that he basically got himself into. This is as the, uh, I think it was in the Drudge Report, one of the aggregate websites said, this is the perfect storm. And he got himself into the perfect storm. And uh, what they mean is you have a deadline of September 30th for the spending bill. And you've got to do a couple of different things to please the conservatives, the the Freedom Caucus. You have to cut spending. You have to limit the illegal immigration pouring across our borders and our airports and our seaports. And you basically have to get behind Donald Trump and impeach Joe Biden. Because if you don't, they're now saying, we'll take that gavel right out of your hands. So it's going to be interesting. They come back today, they came back today, and they've got all these legislative deadlines and they got all these inter-party conflicts that have been bubbling up for months. And of course, the... Always ever present. Don't you feel like it's deja vu all over again? The government shutdown. Oh my God, on September 30th, we could have a government shutdown. No, we should not have to shut down the government. We should just be able to negotiate. And one of the things you got to stop doing is sending money to Ukraine. I'm sorry. You know, my heart breaks for the Ukrainian people, but it's a little too, too little too late. And continuing to send Uh, funding and weaponry over to Ukraine doesn't seem to be hastening the end of this. And now what they've done is they've thrown Vladimir Putin into the arms of little rocket man. You can't make this stuff up. You know, this is the biggest, I don't even know what to call it. I can't use the expressions to mine, cluster something. But that's what this is. All of a sudden, you know, you got the Speaker of the House, and he's got to figure out how he's going to navigate through all of this stuff. I think it was uh, ABC News that said it, it was a Rubik's cube for him. Yeah, and and I've I've met him a few times. I, I I don't believe he can put a Rubik's cube together. I don't know many people who can. My son Derek can. I did once, but could never repeat it. But you got this end of the month deadline and you've got Republicans like Matt Gates, and I believe Byron Donalds as well saying like, you know, if McCarthy can't get the job done, then it's time to take the gavel out of his hand. That's a perfect storm and it's going to come down in the next two weeks, okay? Um, he's got to have a real good story. That's all I'm going to say. If you're gonna do, you know, because you got guys like uh, Buck, who are not gonna. Are not gonna go along with an impeachment inquiry, you know. Listen, we'll see. All right, don't forget to download the app, the eight fifty WFTL app, as well as visit our website on a pretty regular basis, because we got all kinds of cool stuff, contests that you can participate in, podcasts that you can listen to, and all that kind of wonderful added what do they call it extra added value all you gotta do is download that app or visit the website let me take a quick break i will be right back hi everybody this is adriana Trajani. i'm the host of you are what you read i have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now we get everybody from sarah jessica parker to kristin hannah mitch album Susie essman Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. So uh, where do I stand when it comes to all of these dramas that are going on in Washington, D.C.? I stand on the side of the American people, and that's it. I don't care who the Speaker of the House is anymore because they've never seen a more inept group on either side of the aisle. Actually, I can't say that. Democrats, they get their act together. They get stuff done. No wonder Nancy Pelosi wants to run again. I mean, think about the insanity of this old woman. Hey, look, I'm an old woman, so I can say it. You can't say it, but I can. This old woman in her 80s, declaring that she's gonna run again. What does she know that you and I don't know? Because I assure you she would not run again to be in the minority again. So something tells me there's a uh, you know there's a, a good chance or there's certainly some people thinking that they're gonna take back the house, which is entirely possible. What we are seeing, is that people on both sides of the aisle are becoming very disenchanted with politics. They really are. And they'll buy anything that the social media company sells them, right? Today's big headline was, oh my gosh, uh, Joe Biden is down in the polls. Donald Trump is down in the polls. You know, they're down from from just over I guess over fifty percent, uh, just under fifty percent. Oh come on. You know, everybody's numbers have dropped. Ron DeSantis' numbers dropped. Mike Pence's numbers have dropped. I think the only persons who, who person whose number has might have increased was people keep talking about Nikki Haley, but I see no real evidence of that. She's not even in third place. Tim Scott is. And then It's like Nikki Haley and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy fighting it out for third place or for fourth place, actually, right? Because it's Trump, DeSantis, who's far behind Trump. Then it's Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Vivek, Mike Pence, somebody named Doug Burkham, and then people who are undecided come in next, okay? So you don't even see Asa Hutchinson, you don't even see Chris Christie, they don't even appear on these polls anymore. Now, in the Democratic presidential caucus, you have the two rivals for Joe Biden, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and the the flaky Marianne Williamson, who ran one other time. I I, I just it's beyond my comprehension why she does this, but she does it. Apparently, R. F. K. Jr. dropped two points. He went from eleven percent to nine percent. Williamson dropped three points from 10% to 7%, and Biden dropped, uh, you know, to, let me see what his exact numbers are. I want to be accurate. Um, Joe Biden went from, let's see, it's at 50%. He's sitting at 50%, which is down from 69% in May. I, I mean, there is nobody who seems slightly energized, except for Trump supporters. I can tell you that last night, um, first and foremost, I wanted to, you know, a big shout out and and thank you to Larry and Sue Snowden and Linda. These people do an incredible job and bring in incredible speakers and wonderful entertainment. I mean, it's just a, a great way to spend an evening. But the emotion when you just say the name Trump, is off the charts. Now, granted, it's a Trump club. You know, I get that. But I've been to lots of rallies, and the intensity of those rallies is getting even more, not less. You would think that with everything that's been thrown at this man, that people would be a little subdued or maybe just mildly subdued and they are adamant. I listened to uh, Representative Ronnie Jackson last night. And this guy don't take any prisoners. And you're not going to find anybody with more credentials. He's a, a rear admiral with two stars in the Navy. He's a physician, not just any kind of physician. He's board specialty, is trauma and emergency medicine. He did tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and he was the White House physician for three presidents, two Republicans and one Democrat, two terms of the Democrat. And by the way, he did address the question since he treated the entire Obama family. He said, yes, he knows for sure that Michelle Obama is a woman. So I'm just, just <laughs> repeating what he said. I never doubted that, but apparently there's still a lot of people who do. And he said that the, you know, that the moment the Obamas came in, and he found them nice enough as people, he said, but the moment they came in, they started to divide this country. Everything was about gender. Everything was about race. Everything was about straight versus gay. Everything was about rich versus poor. Everything was about this and that. And he, he went down the list. And he said, and I just, I, I was upset by that. You know, I don't like to see the country divided. And then he said, he was done. He was, He didn't want to do this anymore, right? He didn't want to be the White House doctor. He just wanted to just get out of Washington. He said the swamp was so ugly that he was beginning to see it. But he didn't really see it until Donald Trump nominated him for VA secretary. And they pulled out all the stops and went after him and his family. And he said, it was so disgusting. He said, I got Kavanaugh before Kavanaugh. And I, I must admit, I have only a vague memory of that. I know he didn't last very long. He, he pulled out of the nomination process. Uh, but he described the whole thing. I mean, there they are prepping him for this confirmation hearing. He, I mean, you're talking about a man who served this country for over 20 years in the Navy, who was a White House physician for both Republicans and Democrats. How, you know, how do, you, how do you bring that guy down? Oh, but they tried, and they and they succeeded in making him pull out. But he said at that point, he knew he had to do more, that he had to do something to continue to serve his country. And he, of course, ended up running for that seat in Texas and winning it. And I believe he's in his second term now. But, you know, what a fire! He talked about why he stayed, because he was leaving. He had already told the Trump administration, I'm not staying, I don't want to be the... White House physician, and they were trying to talk him into it. And then Donald talked him into staying. And he said he, there was something about the man that he just admired and liked. And I don't understand why the left cannot understand that. Why they don't see why somebody like me or somebody like you or somebody like uh, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, Admiral Ronnie Jackson, would find Trump absolutely refreshing, compelling, the right guy for the job, whatever you want to say. They don't get it. They like throw their hands up in the air. You know, I have family members who go, you can't still be supporting him. They just, they can't wrap their minds around it. And he explained it perfectly well last night. He said, I just want to be told the truth. I want somebody to tell me they're going to do something and then do their very best to do it. Me too. You too. Yeah. That's why. oh, by the way, I forgot. Isn't Cornell West in this race somewhere? <laughs> is he running on the Green Party? Yeah, I think it is. It must be the Green Party. So a third party candidate on the ballot really changes the dynamic. Now you can have Cornell West and if by some ridiculous move on the part of the Republican Party, they deny the nomination, to the people's choice, which would be Donald Trump, there might be multiple third-party candidates. just saying, Robert F. Kennedy's making that noise now, too. You know, he said, look, this isn't fair. They've locked me out of this race, and I'm looking at other alternatives. That's what he said just yesterday. And believe me, that begins to shift things dramatically. So we'll see. It's an exciting time to be watching, but it's also stressful and distressing to think that the world is watching the United States of America, the leader of the free world for almost, well, definitely for my entire life. They're watching us like little, you know, four-year-olds having temper tantrums if somebody else gets the lollipop. Is that a good analogy? I'll have to think about that, but I'm I'm starting to think that sometimes my analogies are so grandmotherly. I got to figure that out, come up with some better ones. Anyway, let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. Stay where you are. So one of the things that people really are paying very careful attention to here in our state, in Florida, is this insurance crisis that's going on. And it has a pretty interesting aspect to it. It's not just that people all over the state are finding out that their property insurance has become virtually impossible for them to either obtain or obtain at a reasonable price. And so when you have a state that has as many senior citizens on fixed incomes as Florida does, or I guess as maybe Arizona does, You really can undo a lot of goodwill by not controlling the cost of things like property insurance. So one of the ways that our governor, Ron DeSantis, has been running his uh, campaign to try to get the nomination, the Republican nomination for the presidential race has been to call Florida the perfect model for the rest of the country. Like, make America Florida. You know, is basically, a, he, he can't exactly use that because it would sound too much like make America great again, but that's basically been his platform. And this is a man who himself told us, us Floridians, a couple of days after the farmer's insurance company bailed on the property insurance market here in the state, he said, knock on wood and hope that the state is spared from a major hurricane this season. Well, I, you know, I don't have to tell you. That's not what happened. First, you had Hurricane Nadalia, which tore through Florida's Big Bend just late last month. And that was a Category 3 storm. It had, you know, record-breaking storm surges in some parts of our state. And now we have this Hurricane Lee that's taken shape in the Atlantic, although from what I can see, I'm looking at the maps right now, it doesn't look like it's going to pose a direct threat to Florida, but there's three months left in this hurricane season. And one thing that I can tell you for sure is that when you got people reeling under the increases in their property insurance, they're looking at the state. They're looking at the Florida legislature, and they're looking at Governor DeSantis, who if he wants to put his record in the governor's mansion at the center of his presidential bid, you know, with his so-called Florida blueprint, he's gonna have to answer to people about the insurance crisis. And I thought he did a great job um for every natural disaster and in and for idalia you know he declared a national emergency early he got lots of resources in where they were necessary early but that doesn't change the fact that we've got homeowners insurance market problems big problems you know people in my building in my condominium in Broward county they're selling their apartments You know, they don't think that they're going to be able to stay because they're not getting colas on their Social Security that would compensate for vastly increased insurance rates, for assessments that seem to be coming from everywhere for many condominium owners. Remember, after the collapse of the building in Miami, Surfside, All of these condos were put on, you know, note. You guys better make sure that you have structural examinations done of your buildings and that any repairs that need to be made get made. And look, I don't want to see buildings collapse. That was a nightmare. And we don't want that to happen, not in our communities, not in my community. But who do you think pays for those? inspections. Who do you think pays for those repairs? The owners pay for them. And if the owners are saddled with higher property insurance and you know a number of potential increases in their HOA fees or assessments for thousands of dollars, you are going to drive people out of these communities not that I know where they'd go, because I don't think it's going to be uh, any better, any easier anywhere else. But it's certainly not Governor Ron DeSantis, your favorite guy. You know, people on the Fox network, they loved Governor DeSantis because they had made a decision somewhere, Some, you know, somebody in management had said, we're not going to be behind Donald Trump. No, 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 no. But when Brian Kilmeade, whose show is on here from 9 to 12, right after his Fox and Friends show, when he says, you know, a couple of weeks ago that insurance in Florida is through the roof, he's right. So I don't know how that affects the governor's campaign directly, but it does affect it. And we are now at the top of the list for the most expensive homeowner's insurance in the entire country. And that's according to the Insurance Information Institute. Floridians are paying an average of $6,000 a year in 2023, which is a 42% increase over 2022. By comparison, the average home insurance premium in the rest of the country sits at about $1,700 which is up just about eleven percent from last year, so it's seventeen hundred dollars elsewhere, and it's six thousand here. And of course, the rate hikes are because we've had um, hurricanes, and that factors into this. We have had, uh, you know, things that factor into increases, all kinds of climate-related risks. And if you look at the Florida market and you know that those factors exist, then okay. You know, we had a legislature that tried to manage some of these and put some good policies into place, but we're trying to undo years of insurance claim fraud, of all kinds of abuse in the court, you know, about these things. And those are really, you know, part of the reason that you have skyrocketing premiums also has a lot to do with with uh, natural disasters and you know climate-related stuff. It doesn't mean that man did anything. It just means it is what it is. Not to mention bad business practices. Come on. You know, our property insurance troubles came long before Governor DeSantis entered the man. You know, the governor's mansion, but. Homeowners' insurance premiums have more than doubled in the four and a half years that he's been in office, which means that, you know, it's tough to grow old in this state. And this is a state where people came to grow old. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, who was the governor before Governor DeSantis, he says this uh, property insurance crisis is devastating for homeowners and renters, and something's got to be done. You got to do something to stop the premiums from skyrocketing in this way because it's just too expensive to insure your home or your apartment in Florida right now. And you know what's going to happen, right? People are going to go without insurance. And then you know what's going to happen. We get a major storm and people lose their everything. They lose their homes, they lose their uh, possessions, and they're not insured. And guess what? The taxpayer is going to have to pick up the the uh, weight. So there are a bunch of bills that have been signed already to get rid of the you know the fraud and to get rid of some of the court cases that have just multiplied. And they have also tried to get the number of policies that are held by citizens, which is the state-backed insurer of last resort, that a lot of uh, you know people have to turn to in the recent years. So that legislation. Was a beginning, you know. I talked to Blaze about that a couple of months ago. It was a good beginning, but you know, people are suffering in the in the present, not in the future. They're suffering right now. The market isn't stable, and I don't know, I have a clue when it will be stable. You know, um, you got five new insurance companies that have just been approved to do business in Florida. Will they bring the rates back down? I don't know. It's a lot of litigation still passing through the system. So during a briefing last week about the hurricane, you know, Governor DeSantis says the legislature's going to have to do more. They're going to have to reform the property insurance market more than it did. And I agree, but he's thinking about it for his political future. I'm thinking about it for our pocketbooks. Anyway, don't forget coming up after me, Eric Erickson, then Joe Paggs, Lars Larson, and tomorrow morning at uh, six o'clock, Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade, followed by Dan Bongino, followed by me. I have one segment left today. Stay right where you are. Oh, boy, I tell you, you know, (laughs) I'm still trying to figure out how it is that the uh, special prosecutor, Jack Smith, plans on proving that Donald Trump Knew he lost the 2020 election because the whole premise of his case is that he knew that so that he was knowingly falsely claiming that there had been election fraud, and they're going to have to show that he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that what he was saying was categorically false now. He's certainly going to be making his case in front of a sympathetic audience or, or a jury, and I'm sure they're going to call all kinds of witnesses who are going to swear that Donald Trump told them that uh, I may have lost the election, but I'm going to fight like hell or something like that. Because we heard some of those, you know, conversations before the January 6th House Select Committee. And so somehow, between the election in November and January 6th, the argument is that the president was aware that they were losing state and federal lawsuits, anything that they had out there that was alleging that there was fraud or uh, any kind of question about election results. And that they were quite certain that there was no way to well to to get to the number of of votes that he needed to win the election, and that no state legislatures were going to change their electoral college votes. So, you know, what I'm sure what he's gonna say is that as the president, he had unlimited information about these things. And The fact that he was told, is how Jack Smith's going to put it, by a number of senior officials in the administration and certainly in the states in their their administrations that there was no there there. But the question is, how does the special counsel prove that Donald Trump believed them? Because a lot of us didn't believe them. And I think he didn't believe them. I think that he was watching the same television numbers that I was watching. And then all of a sudden, everything kind of went dark in certain swing states. And before I know it, I'm now watching the next morning, actually. I'm watching all of these states flip from Trump to Biden. And you can suppose whatever you want. You can think it was a a direct result of final tabulations or different districts coming in, whatever. But it certainly leaves room for doubt. So to say that he'll be able to prove that he knew without a shadow of a doubt that he had lost the election and still was out there saying that he didn't think so, that's a pretty high bar to clear. Not that it wouldn't be uh, you wouldn't be able to clear it in the District of Columbia because you would. But I don't know that you could clear that in a, you know in, in a red state like Florida. I don't know. You know. We're about to find out, though. This ain't going away, and they're not backing down. They're not giving up, and neither is he. So many thanks to all of you who came up to me last night um, to thank me for this program and to thank me for my faith in the fact that the American people win this war one way or another. Um, we just got to stick together. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. May God bless you. May God bless my friend Sid Dinerstein and the Snowdens and Storch. And may God bless you. The Joyce Kaufman podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.